seated. Today's sermon I'll be preaching out of Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. I've entitled my sermon today, Dealing with Life's Dilemmas. You know, one of my all-time favorite comic strips is Peanuts. You know, Charlie Brown and Linus and Lucy and Snoopy and Woodstock and the whole gang. And I can appreciate the frustration Charlie Brown has in the Peanuts cartoons, like the one where Lucy is philosophizing and Charlie Brown is listening. And as usual, Lucy has the floor delivering one of her lectures. And she says, Charlie Brown... Life is a lot like a deck chair. Some place it so they can see where they're going. Others place it so they see where they've been. And some so they can see where they are in the present. And Charlie Brown sighed and says, I can't even get mine unfolded. (laughs) Now, more than a few of us can identify with Charlie Brown. Life is gets rough at times. And some of the choices we have to make are difficult. We find ourselves, like the old saying, between a rock and a hard place, stuck between two possibilities where an argument could be made for going either way. Such a situation is called a dilemma. Now, there are three different kinds of dilemmas here. Uh, Here are three that I'm going to share with you. These aren't on your... uh, They aren't the three points, so hold off on that on your bulletin there. But here's three different kinds of dilemmas. First, a volitional dilemma. Some dilemmas are known as volitional dilemmas. That's where we want to do two things at the same time. Young couples who have been married for two or three years, sometimes less, are often trying to finish their schooling, yet are anxious to start a family. What should they do? To start having children means extra financial pressure and an even greater strain on time and energy. But to wait several years means they may, have be in, they may be in their 30s, and they may really want to begin parenting earlier than that. What should they do? Another volitional dilemma occurs when you're unhappy in a congregation. The problem is especially difficult if you've been a member for many years and all your closest friends are there. Do you stick it out and try to help bring about needed changes? which may not be too promising, or do you state your disagreement and go somewhere else? As some of you know very personally, that can be a difficult choice to make. Volitional dilemmas. Number two, there are emotional dilemmas. Emotional dilemmas are even more intense. This takes place when we have different feelings about the same event. For example, suppose a child has had a pet for many years. The bond between them is inseparable. But the animal has an incurable disease that makes it more and more miserable. You know what the dilemma is. To provide the pet relief means putting it to sleep. But it's a painful option. If you think that one is difficult, how about dealing with an adult rebellious son or daughter? He or she has moved out of the house, is living a lifestyle that's disappointing to God and to you. But it's obvious that financial assistance is needed. In fact... You've asked for it. Or simply they've asked for it. They've asked you for it. Do you help them? Or do you turn them down? It's an emotional dilemma that will tear you up no matter what you decide to do. 
or a geographical dilemma. There are geographical dilemmas that occur when we want to be in two places at the same time. Maybe you love where you've been living for years, but moving would mean a raise in salary, not to mention the opportunity to make new friends and enjoy some much-needed changes. But leaving would be difficult because of the kids who are now teenagers and the long-standing relationships you've built up in the church, in your neighborhood, and with your friends. You weigh both sides. Neither is ideal, yet both have their benefits. And whenever we're faced with a dilemma, we're pulled in two different directions, aren't we? We feel the strain, and we don't quite know what the best thing to do is. And I might add that being older and wiser doesn't mean that you're immune to the problem. As Charlie Brown put it, there are times when we can all find it difficult to get our deck chair unfolded. And this morning I want us to see that the Apostle Paul had a dilemma. Actually, his dilemma seems to be all rolled up in all three of the things that I've already talked about. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. This is what Paul wrote. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having to, a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by coming to you again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray that we'll understand what Paul was trying to say when he talked about wanting to go to heaven and be with you or staying here, continuing to preach the word of God. I can't help but think, Lord, what a dilemma that must have been because I can't help but think as Christians that's something we ought to all have a desire to go to heaven and be with you. And obviously, Paul, I believe, is coming closer and closer to the end of his life. He has struggled and suffered in many ways. And, but he realizes he still has a job to do. Lord, when these dilemmas come, I pray that we'll take these three points today. And we'll learn from them and we'll be able to use them for our own dilemmas in our life. And we'll follow these, Lord, to, to follow your word, to do your will. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I want to share with you this morning three steps with, to deal with life's dilemmas. Three steps for dealing with life's dilemmas. The first one is this. Recognize your dilemma. Now that might seem kind of silly, but let me just tell you, sometimes we just can't recognize the dilemma. I mean, truly recognize what the problem is. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner of Rome in his own house because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're familiar with the book of Philippians, you know that Paul reacted positively to his circumstances and wrote a joyful letter of encouragement to his brethren in Philippi. In, Philippi. in fact, the Philippian letter is best summed up in chapter 4, verse 4, when it says this, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that's kind of interesting wording, considered Paul's a prisoner in his own house. In other words, he's under house arrest. He had guards that watched over him. He could not come and go as he pleased. People could come and visit with him. But then they would have to eventually leave. But he was a prisoner in his own house. Yet he finds it in his writing in Philippians to say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just as a word of note to you, if you need some encouragement in your life, I encourage you to read the book of Philippians. Whenever you need some encouragement, read the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters. Read it. You'll find it's very useful in encouraging you. But even with such a positive attitude, Paul admitted that he had a dilemma of his own. For to me to live in Christ is, is to Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this means fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better, yet to remain on, in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. What I would encourage you to do when you're in a dilemma and you need to recognize your dilemma, write it down. So you can read it and read it and read it and make sure that's your, your dilemma. Which choice do you want to make? Recognize the dilemma. There's no doubt that Paul's dearest friend, in fact, his most intimate relationship on earth was with Jesus Christ. And no one else meant more to him. Therefore, the thought of being with him brought Paul great joy. His feeling could be summed up in the song uh, we sometimes sing, these words. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. Jesus is all the world to me. I want no better friend. I'll trust him now. I'll trust him when life's bleeding day shall end. Beautiful life with such a friend. Beautiful life that has no end. Eternal life, eternal joy. He's my friend. When someone who lives in heaven means that much to you here on earth, it creates a dilemma. You want to be with them right now. And that explains why Paul didn't hesitate to write to die his gain. But at the same time, he realized that his work on earth wasn't finished. God had more he wanted to do through his chosen apostle. And Paul knew that, which was what caused the great dilemma. As he put it, I am hard-pressed from both directions. Well, let me ask you, have you ever seen pictures of those people who are gone down the Colorado River whitewater rafting? Right? You've seen those pictures, right? Okay, well, keep that in mind. The Greek word that Paul uses here is one that would be used by a traveler to describe a narrow canyon with a wall of rock on one side and a wall of rock on the other side. To use our modern terminology, he said he was between a rock and a hard place. And that's pretty much, if you're in, I'd love to do that. That'd go down to Colorado. And it was white water rafting, you know, the, the helmet on and splashing all around you. But something I've come to realize at my delicate young age, I'm just way too old to get between a rock uh, wall on one side and a rock wall on the other side. And you see that class five uh, water rafting 
uh, rapids coming your way and realize, guess what? You're going, buddy. <laughs> There's no sin. I think I'd like to get off ground. <laughs> Where are you going to go? That's what Paul sees. That's the word he uses here. He's between a rock and a hard place. There's nowhere to go except forward, straight ahead. He has to make a decision here. Now notice what his two choices were. First, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which he said was much better for him, or to remain on in the flesh, which he admitted was more necessary for the sake of the Philippian brethren and others, and I'm sure. Do go to be in heaven, stay and work with the people. Go be in heaven, stay and work with the people. And Paul saw there was positives on both ends. So let's dissect Paul's dilemma, and then we can use this method on our own dilemmas. Let's take a look at those two choices and notice some of the benefits and liabilities of both sides. First, to depart. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word that would have been used for a person striking camp, loosening the tent ropes, pulling up the stakes, and moving on. It would have been used to describe a sailor loosening the mooring ropes on a boat, pulling up the anchor and setting sail. And one of Paul's choices was to pull up the tent stakes, pull up the anchor, and head on home. And home was heaven. In other words, he knew he had to die. What were the benefits of dying? Paul would be with Christ instantly. He would be free of all earth's hassles, limitations, and frustrations. He would be in that place where there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and there shall be no more pain, for the former things are all passed away. Revelation 21.4 says, Some have called it the land of no mores. And at that point of death, Paul would immediately experience uninterrupted joy, the joy of unending pleasure in the most perfect of all places. So what were the liabilities of dying? Well, Paul would have to leave those who needed him which would seriously affect their spiritual growth. He would no longer be able to share the gospel with the Roman guards assigned to watch him or to encourage those who visited with him. In addition, his missionary activity would instantly cease. So as good as death may have seemed, it wasn't without its liabilities. And what about to remain? If the Apostle Paul had remained on and continued in his ministry, the benefits were obvious. He would have had a hand in the spiritual growth of many. His role as a teacher of the Philippians and many others would continue. And his vision of reaching a world for Christ would continue to keep the fires of evangelism going everywhere he went. And don't forget about his writing ministry. By remaining, his inspired letters would continue to be written. And the liabilities? He would remain absent from his heavenly home. He would remain in prison in his pain would only increase. There would be more suffering and more persecution. After all he had been through, who needed more? It was time for some relief, right? Which one would he choose? Which one would you choose? When you're in a dilemma, recognize your dilemma. And number two, I want to spend some time on this point. If we're going to be on this point for a little while, don't make your choice alone. And that's very important. You might think that Paul was mature enough to make this 
decision without too much of a struggle. After all, he was a strong and faithful soldier of the Christian faith, a wise counselor, a spiritually minded man of God, and surely he could decide on his own. But according to his own words, he admitted, yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. He says, in essence, I don't know what to do. Both choices made logical sense. Neither one of them would be wrong. Both of them had some positive benefits. It was a real toss-up. So he did the right thing. You know what the right thing is? This is something for us to remember. Let the Lord decide for him. That's what Paul did. Let the Lord decide for you. Let me make this point. When we arrive at such dilemmas in our lives and we're unable to figure out the right direction to go, it's so very important that we turn to the Lord. James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, and wisdom is nothing more than the ability to make right decisions. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's a poem by Horatius Bonar goes like this thy way not mine O lord however dark it be lead me by thine own hand choose out the path for me smooth let it be or rough it will be still the best winding or straight it leads right onward to thy rest i dare not choose my lot i would not if i might choose thou for me my god so shall i walk aright the kingdom that i seek is thine so let the way that leads to be to it be thine, else I must surely stray. Take thou my cup, and it with joy or sorrow fill. As best to thee may seem, choose thou my good and ill. Choose thou for me, my friends, my sickness or my health. Choose thou my cares for me, my poverty or wealth. Not mine, not mine the choice, in things great or small. Be thou my God, my strength my wisdom, and my all. I like the thoughts expressed in that poem. Realizing as Solomon did in Proverbs fourteen twelve, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We turn to the Lord and allow him to be our guide, our strength, our wisdom. We acknowledge that when God said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 is true, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my way, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in Mark 14, we read about a dilemma faced by Jesus Christ. Now you might think, how can Jesus have dilemmas? He did. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Knowing the mob was gathering to climb the hill and capture him, he knew what the next few hours would hold. He knew there would be a scourging that would slice his back into shreds. He knew that huge nails would be hammered into his hands and his feet. He knew how excruciating the pain would be. And the dilemma was this. Should he avoid the pain, thus leaving humanity with no hope of salvation? Or should he submit willingly? And that may not sound like too difficult a choice. And I guess it's not too difficult unless you happen to be the one who's about to be crucified. The attitude expressed by Jesus in the face of his dilemma is one that we all need to develop. Listen to the words of Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 36. 
Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know, Father, on one hand, I want to die for the sins of the world. But on the other hand, I'm dreading the pain and suffering that I'm going to have to go through. So in essence, Jesus did make the decision himself. He allowed the Father to make it for him when he said, Not what I will, but what you will. Now, it's easy to say that, but I realize it's a lot harder to carry through on it. There's been much speculation as to why Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him in the garden. Perhaps he took them for companionship, sympathy, or help. But I like the view that says he took them along for their benefit not for his. Perhaps his purpose was to teach them that as important and helpful as the fellowship and support of other believers can be, there are times when a person's only help is direct communion with God in prayer. And I think Jesus wanted to show his apostles vividly that in his humanness, even the divine Son of God needed the sustenance of his heavenly Father. And acknowledgement of his human weakness and his subsequent need for his heavenly father's presence and strength, Jesus did what his disciples saw no need for doing. And it was because he looked to his father that he endured and passed every temptation, including death, the severest test of all. Every moment of Jesus' life, from his first cry as an infant to his last cry on the cross, was lived in total submission to his heavenly And that's important to remember because every Christian at times faces temptations and trials and heartaches that threaten to overwhelm him and her. In the midst of such difficult times, even our closest friends may be unable to provide the comfort and strength we need. God certainly expects Christians to encourage and strengthen one another. And I don't mean to downplay that. It is essential. But there are times when only direct, intimate communion with God in intense prayer can provide the strength to meet our needs. Jesus' ministry began and ended with relentless temptation directed by Satan. After he was baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus went into the wilderness of Judea. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that period, the devil tempted him three times, and each time Jesus responded with scripture. And while Jesus agonized in the garden the last night of his earthly life, Perhaps the old devil was tempting him again three times. And each time he responded by praying earnestly to his father. The two weapons Jesus used when he faced difficult decisions were scripture and prayer. Two weapons the Lord provides each of us. Scripture and prayer. There's no way we could overemphasize the importance of prayer. It's amazing how much peace comes when we put the pressure on God's shoulders and the responsibility is on him when the ball is in his court. Paul says later in his Philippian letter, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer 
and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You can sum this passage up in six words. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Worry about nothing, pray about everything. Paul writes about God's peace which will guard your hearts and minds. When he mentions peace as a guard, he uses a military term for marching sentry duty around something valuable. As we transfer our troubles to God, God's peace is appointed the duty of marching as a silent sentry around our minds and our emotions. It's a peace that passes all understanding. You ever been in a dilemma? You ever been going through a difficult time and you pray to God for peace? And maybe you pray and pray and pray, and when you're finished, there's just something that comes over you that gives you peace. And you might say, I don't understand, because I feel so at peace. Leonie and I used to talk when we were younger about something happened to her. She was always concerned about who would take care of me and our two young sons. We'd been Christians for about five years when she almost died because of a tumor that had ruptured inside of her. And they had to revive her twice on the emergency room table to get her heart restarted. But this is she tells you. She will tell you to this day as she was laying on the table outside in the hall where they had left her after the test that they had done before they took her back to her room. When the, when the tumor burst, she said, I felt at peace. She said, I felt at peace that no matter what happened at that point, God was going to take care of you and our boys. She felt at peace. And I can't help but say that's peace that passes all understanding. That comes from God. There are many people willing to turn the reins over to God because it requires humility. Listen to Peter. 1 Peter 5, 6-7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Sometimes people, we just need to humble ourselves before God and say, I can't handle it. I need your help don't know what to do. Can you give me the wisdom to make this decision? It's extremely difficult for certain types of personalities. If you happen to be more intelligent than the average person, it's even more difficult. And if you're the super responsible, I can handle it myself kind of individual who tends to be impatient, letting go and letting God take charge is one of life's greatest challenges. But oh, how we need to do it. We need to force ourselves to trust someone else who is far more capable and intelligent responsible than we could ever be. So what was Paul's decision? He said, I'm convinced of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your pro proud confidence in me may about in Christ through my coming to you again. Somehow the Lord made it clear to Paul that his plan was to have him remain and continue 
what he was doing. And even though departing would have brought him instant relief and reward for a job well done, Paul accepted God's decision and unselfishly pressed on. I recall when Clarence Greenleaf, an incredible preacher of the Word of God, when his wife Louise passed. They'd been married for a lot of years. He dearly loved his dear wife Louise. And people used to ask him, when you see Clarence, Clarence would tell you, it's been 50 days since Louise went to be in heaven. It's been 80 days since Louise went to be in heaven. It's been 180 days since Louise went to be in heaven. And people started saying, why are you counting down? Why are you counting the days since she went? And his answer was this. I'm counting the days till I get to be with her. Now I honestly don't remember when it was finally that Clarence got to go see his dear Louise in heaven. Clarence still continued to preach, continued to share the gospel, knew he still had a purpose. Where did Clarence want to be? He wanted to be one. He wanted to see Louise again, but he had someone even greater in heaven he wanted to see, and that was Jesus. But he still knew he had a job here to do. And he was counting the days until that would be the last day he'd have to count. Don't make your choice alone. Let God help you. And finally, this is an important one as well. Learn from your dilemma. Let me suggest a couple lessons we learned from this passage. First, making decisions in the midst of dilemmas forces us to rethink our priorities. There's nothing quite like a dilemma to bring us back to the bedrock of what we consider essential. Maybe your dilemma involves spending more time at work versus more time with the family. What's important to you? Maybe your dilemma involves trying to gain the respect of your peers versus trying to live a moral, upright life. What really is more important to you? And Many times, if we can just understand what our priorities are, we can just understand which things in life are most important to us, then it makes the decision a bit easier. And then number two, choosing our priorities forces us to reconsider the importance of Christ in our lives. And there are a lot of different voices all around us, all trying to pull us in different directions. Some of them are loud, some are persuasive, and a few are downright convincing can be confusing. If you listen long enough, you may be tempted to throw your faith in the wind, look out for number one, and choose what seems to be best for you. Initially, you may get a rush of pleasure and satisfaction, but ultimately you'll wind up disappointed and disillusioned. Now, I want to challenge you to keep an eternal perspective. Even though you're in the minority, even though you may be surrounded by a bunch of success-oriented individuals who are urging you to ignore your conscience and grab all you can get now. If you want real lasting joy, then put Christ first. Be willing to do what God wants you to do above all else. 
It may have its tough moments, but you'll never regret it. Never regret it. I like this quote from Max Lucado. In his book, And the Angels Were Silent, this is what he said. We cannot choose the weather. We cannot control the economy. We can't choose whether or not we are born with a big nose or blue eyes or lots of hair. We can't even choose how people respond to us. But we can choose where we spend eternity. The big choice God leaves to us. Today, that's your dilemma. Today, that's your dilemma. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you have a dilemma. You have a choice. Your choice is where you'll spend eternity. Will you be like Paul? Will you have the choice to spend eternity in heaven where Paul wanted to go? He wanted to be with God. He wanted to see Jesus. There was nothing more important to Paul than being in heaven. But he also knew that God wasn't finished with him there yet. So he said, I have some work to do. But he had made his choice. That's the choice we all get to make. Be in heaven or not in heaven. No other place. One or the other. Choose before you die. Where are you going to go? Now, I've said this many times. Especially when you're younger, you might think, hey, i got plenty of time to make that decision. Plenty of time. Not true. Not true. I knew an 18-year-old young lady Graduated from high school just about a month before she was on her way to work. Was in a head-on car crash and killed. 18 years old. Just starting her life. Good young Christian woman. I know where she went. She had already made that choice. And she was baptized into Christ. But who never thought 18 year old Aaron would be gone. So she had 18 years of life. How many will God give you still? And God makes the choice quite easy. It's not a difficult choice. God said you believe. It starts with belief. It starts with faith. That you believe. That you have faith to know that Jesus is the Son of God who came and died on that cross. Do you believe that? If you do, then he says it's very simple. You take that faith and allow that faith to have you realize you need to repent. Turn away from your sinful life to walk in a way that God wants you to walk. Trust me, your sinful life is not working for you. You might think it is, but it really isn't. It's working against you every single day of your life. But you repent, you turn away from that life to walk in God's way. Your faith leads you to confess the name of Jesus. That I believe that Jesus is the Christ. The only begotten Son of the living God. 
your faith leads you to be immersed, baptized by immersion in the water grave. The scriptures say your sins are washed away. You're filled with God's Holy Spirit. Now you jumped off that wide path onto the narrow path. You've made a choice where you want to go. Then all we have to do is keep living the life to get there. And the longer you live that life, the more you'll want to be in heaven with Jesus. Just like Paul. I'm not even going to tell you what the other choice is. Because if you don't choose Jesus, then I'll tell you it's an eternity without Jesus. And that won't be much of an eternity you want to spend. It's called hell, and hell's not a pretty place. It's not all a bunch of parties and it's not a bunch of parties and drinking beer and all that kind of stuff. Trust me, it's not. One thing, two things I know about hell, and I can tell you right now that I can I've learned from the scriptures. One, God won't be there. And number two, nobody will care who you are. You won't even have a name. They won't care who you are. Because you'll be there with them in eternal punishment. It's that simple. We're going to say in page 546, Jesus saves. And we're going to do one verse. If you have a decision to make this morning for Jesus, you come as we say. study your word, understand that we all face dilemmas, and we've received some points today how to handle those dilemmas, and I think the most important thing I can say is make sure that we bring you in on all things to help us to make the right decisions. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do. As we leave this place today, I pray you'll keep us safe and help us to be a shining light for others. We thank you for all you do for us. Praising you today, I give thanks in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from our evangelist, Tom Schof. Our prayer is that each of you 
after hearing the truth of God's word today, have been encouraged, enlightened, and challenged by the truth of the gospel message. Our prayer is that each of you will know Christ in a very deeper manner by hearing these messages. And should you have a question concerning your faith, your trust in God, your relationship, even your salvation, please don't hesitate to contact us at www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. That's www.chieflandchristianchurch.org. Or you can email us at ccchiefland at gmail.com. And we'll be glad to get back with you. Don't forget this message has been brought to you by Anchor FM, the free platform that is designed to make it simple and easy for you to create your own podcast just like this one. Anchor FM. You can download it today at their website, anchor.fm, and enjoy this exciting new platform.